The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology, faster than thought possible, to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey everybody, happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. We've got a lot coming up on today's program, a pair of interviews for you. Of course, we'll begin talking about some changes coming to the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality. It's now going to be called EGLE, Environment, Great Lakes, and something I'll tell you of the latest about the political football that has been environmental enforcement here in the state of Michigan. But these are some changes that if you're an environmentalist should make you pretty happy. We'll get into that with my friend Nick Schreck from the University of Detroit Mercy. Also, Mike Wilkinson of Bridge, Michigan is going to be joining us today to talk about the gerrymandering case, which began today in federal court. A lot of arguments being made and some new evidence was unveiled last night in the forms of emails showing just how much people were working to politicize this process and to ensure that Republicans gained a number of seats. We'll go through all of that, and that's going to be a huge part of this trial. So that's all coming up on the Craig Folly Show here on Deadline Detroit. Stay with me. We're going to have fun today. If you are a fan of the Great Lakes, if you're a fan of the environment here in the state of Michigan, uh, you may be encouraged by some changes that are taking place in Lansing, especially with the Department of Environmental Quality. It is now going to be called something completely different. It's now going to be called Eagle Environment Great Lakes and uh, something else. You know who can tell me that is Nick Schreck, my guest right now. Of course, he's the Director of Clinical Programs and Associate Professor of Law at the University of Detroit Mercy, or Environmental Law Clinic there as well. He's a frequent guest on this program. Nick, welcome. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. Thanks, Craig. Great to be with you. Yeah, this is a pretty significant change. And of course, I, I screwed up the name of it a little bit, but it is now called Eagle or Deagle, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> right. um, and and uh, there have been some significant changes. This is not just a name change. Um, but I do want to ask you, I mean, this is the what the, the fourth time, I believe, we've seen some significant changes uh, to what used to be the DNR, then the DEQ. Uh, this has been a political football for several years. Uh, yeah. Why has this department been in the crosshairs of so many administrations? Well, if you go back to the Engler administration, that was when you know you took you took what had been the Department of Natural Resources and Engler split it into two. So you had the DNR and then the DEQ, the Department of Environmental Quality. And you know, going back and reading some of the 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 press at the time, I mean, I think a lot of that had to do with you know the DEQ then became the villain. You know, it's this agency that did all of the permitting and the enforcement. And so the thinking was that you know this agency is the one that nobody likes and that um, was actually targeted for uh, cuts and disinvestment from our our state budget. And then you had the DNR that was the state parks and you know the the park rangers and and doing studies on wildlife and fisheries, the things that everybody likes. Um, and so you know that was goes back to again the the Engler administration. And then you did have this. Um, move during uh, Granholm's administration during her second term to combine it again. And I think that was called the Department of Natural Resources and the Environment for less than a year. And then we had Snyder, uh, Governor Snyder came in and then he split it again. So then he had DNR and DEQ. And then now we have this move to now we would have um, a, a different DEQ. And you're right. So this would be the Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy. 
And so, you know, basically what you're doing is, is pulling in, um, you know, energy, which is a huge part of our environmental decision making in the state, but we don't often think of it that way. But, you know, the, the ramifications from generating electricity to storing energy, you know, move towards wind and solar. And a big piece of that from Governor Whitmer's, Whitmer's executive order is also trying to tackle climate change and to you know aggressively um, confront climate change and that why that's why i think she thought it was important to make sure that energy is a big part of this agency that handles our environmental decision making in the state well well absolutely and it, it certainly seems nick is over the years that uh, energy has been seen more as an economic issue as opposed to an environmental issue but i think the line five uh, the Enbridge Line 5 issue uh, in the Straits of Mackinac is one of those things that sort of brought it into focus for a lot of residents here in the state that made them think about energy a little bit differently for the first time, That's as right. opposed to, you know, a, a massive and also, of course, the spill in the Kalamazoo River, also an Enbridge issue. Uh, this has got to give the energy industry a little bit of pause as to whether or not this is going to be in a much more difficult regulatory environment for them. Well, I think you'll you'll definitely see a shift. I mean, so the Snyder administration, they were more inclined to, as you said, I mean, it was it was economic development. It was, you know, the mantra was cutting red tape and making Michigan open for business. And while that's fine as far as it goes, it is important to have an environmental agency that's there to be the watchdog, to not only watch what private industry and businesses are doing and individuals are doing, but also what our state is doing. You know, you need somebody to keep an eye on our, our state government and to have an, you know, really an independent agency that can be a check and that can ensure that we're following our laws, following our procedures to ensure that we have a healthy environment for today and for future generations. And so, I mean, there will be, I think, a shift where you'll have, I, I don't see this, this big change in, you know, onerous, um, additional hoops and regulatory hurdles that industry will have to jump through. But I think you will see more of a focus on enforcement, uh, enforcing our existing environmental laws, and making sure that everybody's playing by the same set of rules. Um, and so that, that I, I do think will be somewhat of a, a difference for, for some segments of our economy, some areas of industry that were, you know, really treated with, um, I guess, kid gloves, you could say, um, from the Slater administration. I, I think so Kid gloves is is a kind term. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the, the last administration cre uh, created something called the Environmental Rules Committee. A lot of people in the environmental community saw that as the fox in the hen house act. That's what they called it. Basically allowing uh, industry a seat at the table to determine which rules would be good for them and which ones wouldn't and overseeing the creation of those rules and regulations. Uh, right. This seems to be a move in an opposite direction to sort of take that finger off the scale uh, and really put science back in charge of things rather than economic interests. And, and as it should be, and that's right. So another thing that Governor Whitmer did in this executive order is that she um, yeah, did away with these, these committees that were created um, by the legislature that would, would basically put industry people, um, you know, business people on these panels that could review and potentially overturn decisions that were made by professional Department of Environmental Quality staff. And so so those those committees have been abolished by this executive order, um, which, yeah, I think is definitely a good thing across the board. Um, a couple other things to note, Craig. So in this series of executive orders, the governor also created a, um, a public advocate, both for water quality and also for environmental justice. And so water quality, I mean, that's really in reaction to Flint and to try and get at some of the you know, very poor decision making that was, again, focused, I think, on economic reasons rather than environmental and public health um, 
determinants when which led to the, the Flint water crisis, you know, basically trying to, to save a few bucks in emerg emergency management, which led to this, um, you know, continuing ongoing public health emergency up there in Flint. And so Governor Whitmer is trying to address that by having a public advocate that people can go to and raise concerns about water quality. Um, and then also environmental justice, which that term is what we mean by environmental justice is um, trying to address our, our history of basically um, environmental racism in many areas of the state or making decisions that were not um, considering impacts on poor communities, communities of color, um, both in urban and rural areas across the state. And so this is, I think, a recognition on, on the part of the Whitmer administration that we still have a long way to go in Michigan. You know, forget about planning for the future. I mean, we still need to deal with current and past um, inequalities and decisions that negatively impacted, you know, many members of our community. And so, you know, I think I think both of those offices, in addition to the the redesign of our environmental agency, are, you know, a big step forward in terms of getting the focus back on what it should be, which is sound science, sound policy to promote public health in the environment. Well, interestingly enough, I mean, the, the first vocal shots against this, of course, come from the Michigan Chamber of Commerce. No surprise there. You have a quote here from uh, uh, from Rich Studley, of course, is the president and CEO with the Michigan Chamber, says the Michigan Chamber is disappointed that Governor Whitmer decided so early to reduce openness, accountability and transparency in the state government regulatory process. Um, so clearly they don't like the op. They don't like the possibility of of increased regulation uh they don't mention of course environmental quality in that statement in any way just regulation uh there's going to be some opposition to this does the legislature have a way to challenge governor whitmer if indeed the powers that be that basically control their purse strings haven't you know have an opportunity to to get them to act well so on on the the those rules committees that were again designed basically to be a, a table of industry folks that could second guess DEQ professional staff. Um, so, so abolishing those committees, um, I believe the legislature could actually, um, you know, reinstate those committees um, with, and I think it's a super majority that they would have to have, um, you know, I haven't looked at that super closely. I apologize, Craig, but, but those, on that question, because it was, they were committees created by the legislature, I believe the legislature could, um, you know, in effect, um, void that, that decision, but I don't know that they would have the votes to do it. You may recall when those, when those laws passed, they were, you know, they, they squeaked through even with significant um, Republican majorities. So there was a lot of unease on, on the part of, you know, many moderate Republicans about, you know, basically creating the, these committees that were just to be stacked with, um, you know, industry people that could second guess DEQ decisions. So, you know, I, I would be surprised if, if they're able to muster enough votes to, um, to still go ahead down that route. Um, and then the other thing to look at is always the budget, right? We need to watch. Okay. So you've got this newly configured environmental agency, you know, what, Will there be increase in the budget to actually, you know, hire more staff to be able to do more investigations and more enforcement? You know, will they be able to, um, you know, replace all these people that have been lost through retirements and attrition over the past 20 years where we really have, you know, seen a, a big brain drain from our environmental agencies in the state of Michigan? You know, that will be kind of a fascinating thing to watch. You know, how, how does Governor Whitmer negotiate with Republicans in the state House and state Senate? to ensure that these priorities of hers are actually implemented. And that means money. And so, yeah, I mean, the legislature, not only could they potentially, um, 
you know, keep keep some of these review committees in place um, through a majority, super majority vote. But they also, of course, have um, ability to negotiate with the governor over a budget and come to some sort of an agreement on, you know, a budget that she will sign, but that they can also support. Um, so, yeah, it'll be kind of fascinating to see how that whole process plays out. Well, interestingly enough, you know, you mentioned, of course, employees at the DEQ, uh, staff cuts that have taken place over the last uh, couple of decades, really. Um, you know, morale in that department. Uh, has has suffered. Uh, people's roles have shifted contis- consistently over the years. Uh, you went from, you know, I, I have a, one person I know who works there who was basically working on fisheries and then all of a sudden found themselves working on PFAS contamination and some other things. Uh, they, their roles are constantly shifting because they don't have the staff. What is your take on, on the quality of the people that we have in that department right now? Well, I think we have uh, very high quality, dedicated individuals, um, but there aren't enough of them. You know, there, there aren't enough people and they have been depleted. You have, uh, so for instance, people that are writing permits for, let's say, water water discharge. So so pollution permits for, for water discharge. You know, there there's fewer people reviewing more applications and writing more permits than really they should be. So, you know, you can only spread people so thin, even with really quality individuals, you can only spread them so thin before, you know, things start to slip through the cracks, or perhaps you give less searching review to an applicant for, for a permit than, than you, you would otherwise, because you just don't have the time. So that's where, I mean, I think at some point you just need to have the people, the boots on the ground to do the work. And, and that's where it'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, Governor Whitmer is able to convince the legislature of that importance and to get some more funding going into this new Department of Environment and Great Lakes and Energy. Nick Shrek, my guest, of course, from the University of Detroit Mercy. Nick, one last question for you here. And and I just, I mean, from a, from a messaging standpoint here, this does send a pretty strong signal about what Michigan is going to be about. Uh, you know, we are considered the guardians of the Great Lakes, and this is a role that, that the public wants to take pretty seriously here. How much of a message and how important a message is this sending when you make these changes? Well, the response from environmental and public health uh, groups, advocates has been, you know, incredibly positive. They're very excited about this, um, this action on the part of the governor. And so I think it sends a message that, you know, while I, I think she will certainly be fair, and you know, of course, we have environmental laws that are designed to protect the participation of, of all parties, you know, industry, other stakeholders, community groups, etc. Um, but, I, but I do think it's a shift. It's certainly a shift from the last administration where you have a governor saying, you know, not only are is protecting the Great Lakes a priority to such an extent that I'm going to reorganize the entire um, agency structure of state government um, to, to put, really put Great Lakes in the center of what, how we think about our environment, but also to focus on environmental justice, to focus on water quality. Um, that is a, a big shift from basically saying, hey, we're Michigan, we're here and we're open for business and we're going to try and do whatever we can to, to streamline the process for, for business activity in the state. Um, it is a big shift and it's something that, you know, from, from my personal perspective, I think is needed because you, you, you need to have a check on just sort of unfettered growth and unfettered expansion. We have to make sure that there's a voice there that's that's protecting public health and protecting, you know, yeah, the Great Lakes and these other cherished natural resources that that we want to have and to be able to enjoy for our lives, but also for our children and their children and on down the line. Well, Nick, you know, I lied. I have one last question because it wouldn't be right <laughs> if I had you on. And I didn't ask you if there's been any movement at all and coming up to a solution to the migration of, of course, the Asian carp. 
Well, you know, interestingly, Craig, there was actually some movement um, in the last Congress. So, you know, before the last election and before the, the government shutdown and all that, um, where there are there is additional funding that was provided to the Army Corps of Engineers um, to add additional barriers, um, things, you know, like the we, we've talked about before, like the, the underwater air cannons um, to help disperse the carp. So, you know, some positive developments and, and some some changes that many conservation and environmental groups were, were, were hoping to see did actually happen uh, last year. But what we still do not have is an, an agreement or a timetable on you know, an actual separation of the Great Lakes from the Mississippi River Basin, which that's what we need. If we want to ensure that we keep the Asian carp out and we also keep out whatever future invasive species either, you know, coming in or leaving the Great Lakes, you know, the, the way to do that is to have an actual physical barrier. And that still um, has not been sorted out. So, you know, some steps in the right direction, but we can't quite close the book on our, our friends, the, uh, the Asian carp. <laughs> All right. Well, I had to leave it right there. Nick Schreck, of course, is at the University of Detroit Mercy. He runs the Environmental Law Clinic there. And of course, he's the Director of Clinical Programs and an Associate Professor of Law at U of D Mercy and a longtime friend. Nick, thank you very much. Thanks, Craig. Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor, and The Trip, wise relationship advice with hosts Megan Slattery and Tracy Evans. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for being with me on this Tuesday. And it's a big day for those of you who have been paying attention uh, to the anti-gerrymandering suit that is now uh, underway in federal court. Of course, the League of Women Voters filing suit against uh, the state of Michigan in regards to the way the congressional and uh, state house and Senate lines were drawn back in 2011. Of course, this trial probably going to be somewhat quick in that uh, there's not a lot of time to redraw the lines if indeed they rule in favor of the League of Women Voters. So what are they basing their case on? Well, there's a whole host of new emails uh, that were released yesterday, as a matter of fact, showing the intent of the people involved in the redistricting process and what they were trying to do. Joining me right now to give us a little bit more context about what's at stake is Mike Wilkinson of Bridge Michigan Magazine. Uh, Bridge, of course, winner of uh, Newspaper of the Year. Congratulations, Mike, and uh, glad to have you with me today. Uh, thanks to be here. Yeah. Now, these emails, we've seen emails before uh, from some of the power brokers that were involved in the redistricting process after the last census, uh, people like the Michigan uh, Chamber of Commerce and, and some others uh, that were involved in this. And it was pretty clear that they had obviously partisan intent. But, you know, there's always partisan intent along with this process. What sort of makes this different than a typical redrawing of the lines? Well, the, the, the League of Women Voters and their attorneys have argued for a long time that the intent was so strong, it was not just to help the Democrats, I mean, the Republicans, but it was also to hurt the Democrats. And these emails just continue to make the point that, that one, they knew they were trying to stay on the right side of the law. Two, that they wanted to make sure they didn't say anything wrong because they anticipated a trial at some point. And, and they were correct, because here we are today. Um, and, and three, that, uh, um, you know, what we saw yesterday, I think kind of for the first time, was the role the national party did play in this. I mean, they, they have a, a redistricting memo um, that, that was released yesterday that said just days after the 2010 election, you know, due to our spectacular, uh, now that we had a spectacular election outcome, it's time to make sure Democrats can't take away from a, take it away from us in 2011 or in 2012. So clearly the, the, the national party is directing the locals, here's what you need to do. 
Um, and so that, you know, and then we're seeing that again and again and again in the emails and other evidence that they've developed in the case. Well, one of the things that they have in here, and I was I was looking at this memo that came out yesterday, and this was uh, in terms of the legal preparation. It says, your redistricting legal record has already begun. Avoid misstatements in public or emails. Keep it simple, such as, quote, we want a fair process that follows all the requirements of the law. Now, granted, I love the fact that this is in quotation marks as a, this is what you tell people in public, but they didn't follow this advice. These emails are pretty damning. No, I mean, over and over again, you, you see you know, in, in the subject line and the body of a text, you know, clearly they're, they're uh, you know, they're having the, these conversations among, among Republicans saying, you know, this, this congressman's upset, this one's um, uh, unhappy about what's happening. But the goal is the same every, at all points is to make them as safe as possible in the next election. And, you know, that's what these emails show. At the same time, I mean, there, there's a conversation about, you know, creating a, a, a Republican um, favorable district in gross points. They say, oh, we can't do that um, because they would run afoul of the law. So they, they were really trying to steer clear of the Voting Rights Act um, rules as it regards to majority minority districts. Um, but they figured if they, it seemed what they're saying is if we, if we stay on the right side of that goal, po- goal line, we can do whatever we want. Um, and, and even in the trial today, they're saying, you know, wait a minute, some Democrats actually voted for this thing. So how could it be nothing but bipartisan? It's, 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 it's another interesting look uh, into a process that uh, um, confounded a lot of people. One of the things that the emails show is just how concerned individual legislators and congresspeople were about these districts and what was there. Uh, you've got one instance where, you know, Candace Miller's staff is asking for certain roads to be included in her district because she wanted to continue to represent certain companies within it. Uh, you've got other situations where people were suggesting they didn't want certain counties that they thought were less desirable or they didn't necessarily want to represent. Uh, it shows that, indeed, the lawmakers themselves were very involved in the process of figuring out what these districts were going to look like. That seems to be something, um, frankly, that that the League of Women Voters is really trying to to push against here uh, and shows what they call discriminatory intent. Yeah, they're trying to show that, 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 that at all times it was all for one, one for all. You know, let's let's make sure we make the, the GOP happy in the Senate and the senators and the representatives. But it is interesting how, how much, you know, um, what was it, uh, Justin Amash's one of his aides, they were upset um, and uh, that he was going to go from 60% Republican district to 57%, um, which kind is kind of laughable because the goal of that was to make Tim Wahlberg, who was in a iffy district, uh, more secure. Um, you know, and ultimately that's what they did. And neither Wahlberg nor Amash have, have even come close to losing um, since they changed those boundaries. Even in a wave election, um, Wahlberg uh, pretty, pretty soundly defeated uh, Gresham Driscoll uh, this last time. So, you know, it was, it is interesting to watch, you know, the Dave camps, um, the Candace Millers, you know, their aides are, are some of the people who are raising some of the most partisan arguments, um, complain about, um, of the injustices being done to them, but you don't see uh, memos from the Democrats and the injustices being done, done to them because they weren't part of the process. Largely. Well, yeah, they weren't part of the process. Now, now, granted, I mean, this is all going to change here in Michigan anyway, given what happened in November at the ballot box. We're going to have a new method of doing this. Uh, if, if you take a look at this and if the League of Women Voters prevails, are we likely to see all of the lines redrawn in time for the 2020 election? Well, uh, Jocelyn Benson, the new secretary of state, I mean, just said, I think either today or yesterday, uh, that should they prevail. And it's a long process because the Supreme Court is hearing two gerrymandering cases this term 
um, which could have a profound effect on whatever happens, you know, here in, in, in the Detroit um, uh, case. But Benson has just said she would not ask to have the Senate districts redrawn because, you know, they're not even up again until 2022. Sure. Um, and if you and if you did it in them in 2020, you know, that'd be a problem. But that that but all the 110 state representatives and the 14 congressional districts are up in, tw- in, in 2020. Um, so, you know, that's still you know, 114 districts that have to be redrawn. Yeah, and, and not a lot of time to do it. Uh, no. But when you take a look at what the League of Women Voters has presented uh, so far, these emails, I mean, at the same time, it's got to be a pretty high standard, I guess, to overturn uh, this process. Um, as you mentioned, the Supreme Court is hearing the cases of, I believe, Maryland and, uh, and North Carolina, or is it Wisconsin, I think might be involved in this as well. Um, and I'm, I'm getting those mixed up. But uh, you say that's going to have a profound impact on how this is ruled on, but at the same time, wouldn't the lower court here have to rule on this before the Supreme Court uh, releases its decision? Well, the, one of the people involved in the case, the, the, the attorneys for the legislators who wanted to intervene after Benson decided she would, didn't want to defend, Republican legislators wanted to jump in. They asked for a stay and they took it to the Supreme Court and they asked Justice Sotomayor um, just uh, Friday, and she ruled yesterday, and she rejected their call. Um, they were saying just that you know, if they won at the lower court and then the, the, the rules changed based by the Supreme Court, um, it would have been a waste of time. So, I mean, it's I, I could see their point, but it seems like Sotomayor, by rejecting it, saying, no, let it play out. Um, you know, that will be just part of what happens in the fallout w- with the, the North Carolina and the Maryland cases. And and how long do we expect this whole process to last here? The the court arguments, um, you know, you're covering it tomorrow. I know you've got somebody else from Bridge that's there today. A number of other uh, people from Lansing are covering this right now. Uh, how long do we expecting this case to last? Well, it's only going to be a, a week long trial. I mean, they they really trimmed down um, the 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 number of witnesses that they're going to present. The plaintiffs, the League of Women Voters, are not going to be calling Bob LeBrand from the cha- formerly from the chamber. And actually calling, you know, Jeff Timmer, the consultant from the Sterling Corp. They're going to use the depositions and the emails with them. And since it's a three-panel um, judge, I mean, they've seen all the evidence. I mean, it's been going on, you know, since 2017. So they're, they're well-versed in what, what the evidence is. And what we're doing here is we're, you know, we're bringing in the League of Women Voters, the, the plaintiffs themselves. Um, we are, I, I, a couple people that were consultants for the League of Women Voters are going to, to testify. I think some, some researchers who looked at um, uh, uh, an attempt to quantify just how gerrymandered the districts were. Um, so it's only, it's, it's going to be a fairly short trial and then they will be, you know, they will be briefed to, to ask for a, a ruling and then we'll have to wait on what the, the panel decides. And the panel, you know, if, for those who are interested is uh, two judges that were appointed by um, President Clinton, a Democrat, and one who was uh, um, uh, appointed to the bench by uh, H, George H.W. Bush, a Republican. Well, we'll be watching very carefully, and we appreciate uh, you giving us the time today, Mike. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Mike Wilkinson of Bridge Magazine joining us here on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Hope you enjoyed the program. Hope you learned a little bit of something. And if you like this, do me a favor. Tell your friends about it. Share it. Share it on social media. Let folks know that we're out here doing this every single day. That'll attract some sponsors, which will in tune allow me to keep doing this, which is a big deal. So I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate everybody chiming in. 
Don't forget, send me an email if you've got suggestions on things you want me to talk about. It's thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. Not hard to find me. Let me know what's going on. Find me on social media as well. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm even on Snapchat, believe it or not. Still don't know exactly how to use it, but I am there. Anyway, we'll talk tomorrow. Have a great day. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.